Greetings, friends, family. It is the weekend of Sunday, August the 1st. We continue with our study of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews goes on in this next section uh, to point out, as, as we've been seeing all along, that God has spoken to humanity, has revealed basic truths about life, and that revelation is, is very different than what man's unaided reason feels is the explanation of of the secrets of living and so if we accept the revelation and the act of these truths that is what faith is accepting and acting on them then reason will find its proper place and life will make sense as God intended it to do but without faith we only struggle in a confused cycle of bewilderment of of boredom frustration So the writer of Hebrews has made clear that the revelation of God all centers in Jesus. So the life of faith begins by the acceptance of him. Faith, as as we talked about, as we've already seen, is this desire for something better. It starts with hope. And then there's this awareness of someone else in life, this unseen someone who is nevertheless very real. And then faith involves this assurance resulting from from this, that, that obedience to that someone will bring us to the something better than in fact we want. Faith is a very practical thing. And, and the writer is, is very well aware, the writer of Hebrews is very well aware that live, a living illustration always helps. So the amazing 11th chapter, which is filled with the parade of the heroes of faith, with the simple stories of men and women uh, with, with passion like ourselves, living in the kind of a world in which we live in, confronted with the same kind of problems who have some mastery over their problems and overcome the obstacles and won their way to amazing fulfillment by faith. So this chart, the chapter hardly needs sort of um, exposition, if you will. These, the accounts are kind of self-explanatory, but, but perhaps it helps, I think, to, to point out that there are at least five characteristics of faith that manifest itself in this 11th chapter of Hebrews. We can test our faith, our faith, by these because they're this, these distinguishing marks of what we would call genuine, real faith. Number one, perhaps the most characteristic thing is that faith always anticipates. In other words, it moves towards a clearly expected event in the future. It was Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, who said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. Well, with that fact, we can't argue. But without faith, life would be a blind march into mystery. We cannot know where we are going. We do not know what is coming. We do not see what lies ahead. The future is an an enigma to those without faith. Anything can happen. So there's always a sense of anxiety in trying to look ahead. But faith believes that God has revealed something about the future. Not everything, but something. And what he has revealed is enough for us to know. So faith seizes on a revealed event and begins to live in anticipation of that event. So faith gives life goal. It gives it purpose, destination. It is a look to the future. And we see this in Abraham. We're told in verse 9 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him 
of the same promise. He dwelt there. He lived there, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the promises because, in verse 10, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So here's this illustration of the meaningless of time in the life of faith. It, it's amazing how far Abraham saw, as, as best we can tell, Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Jesus. And we live roughly about 2,000 years after him. Yet Abraham, looking forward by faith and believing what God had said would take place, looked across 40 plus centuries of time and beyond to the day when God would bring an earth on, on earth a city with eternal foundations. In other words, life on earth would be lived as God's order. Abraham saw what John sees in the book of Revelation, a city coming down out of heaven onto earth. I think that's symbolic. Perhaps it is a literal city, but I think it's symbolic of, of, of that which we pray for in the Lord's prayer. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that's what Abraham longed for, an earth that's run after God's order, where men would live, would dwell together in peace, in harmony, in blessing, in beauty, fulfillment. Because of that, he was content to live in tents, looking for that what that was coming. We can see this quality of anticipation also in Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Isaac and Jacob both knew that God intended to make nations from their sons. And their final prayers were based on that fact. They prayed in anticipation of what God had said would come and bless their children on that basis. Joseph, when he was dying, saw 400 years ahead to, to the Exodus in Egypt, and he made arrangements by faith for a funeral service in the promised land. He didn't want to be buried in Egypt. So he symbolized his conviction that God was going to do exactly what he had said. And in the course of time, it happened exactly that way. We can see how faith anticipates in the case of Moses' parents, who, when he was born, saw that he was a beautiful child, a godly child, and they decided to save him from the, the edict of the king that all male children should be killed, Hebrews eleven twenty three. That was this was more than the natural desires of parents to just to preserve their children, even an especially handsome one like like Moses from death, but these parents knew that there was a promise of deliverance from Egypt for their people. And they knew that, that the time was near. God had told about this, um, how long it would be. And, and they were given assurance that this boy was to be the deliverer. Acts chapter 2, 20 through 21 says that. And, and, and they believed that promise. And, and acting on that, well, they defied the king, hid the kid for three months, Related to this quality of faith, which accepts as certain a promise of the future, is, is a second quality. So secondly, a, a characteristic here is that faith always acts. There, there's a misconception that, that think that people of faith that are so occupied with the future that they sit around twiddling their thumbs doing nothing now. There, there's a little trite saying even concerning, concerning those who are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly use. That unfortunately is the common concept of faith, but, but that's not faith. That's fatalism. See, faith works. 
Faith is doing something now and in view of the future. If we are if we are folding our hands and waiting for the second coming, um, where we're not living the life of faith. The life of faith is that which occupies till I come, Luke 19 says, as Jesus said. It acts now in view of that coming. It, t- take an example. In this chapter, we will see that, that it's one of action. Without exception, these men and women were set to work by their faith. Their faith made them act in the present. So faith is not passive. It's dynamic. It's forceful. L- listen to the summary here of the actions of faith. This is Hebrews eleven thirty two through 35. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. That's not poetry. That's history. Faith at work. The activities of faith have changed the course of history. But but faith does not act blindly either. It's not just doing anything. It's made very clear in this chapter that faith, well, it evaluates. It, it weighs the possibilities, the alternatives. Maybe we could just as accurately put, put it, faith takes risks. One characteristic of faith is it gladly sacrifices a present advantage in order to gain the future. It it does not try to have its cake and eat it too. So it comes head on with the common philosophy of get it now or you may never have another chance. It it is very anti-Black Friday, if you will. The heroes of faith say to us, we'll live now in view of the future and you will gain both the future and the present. So throw away the temporary now, and we will gain both the future and, to our own amazement, find that the present has taken on this new fullness of meaning. It's given back to us again and again. And we see this in Abraham. We read, picking up back with chapter 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where that he was, that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. That's unusual. Here's, here's a man who left home and went abroad without making any reservations. He, he went out on a march without a map, leaving his friends, his influence behind. There, there must have been many who said to him, what an absurd thing. What you're going to, what to go out and not knowing where you're going. What's your destination? Abraham said, I, I don't know. He, he did not know where he was going, but he knew whom he was going with and what a difference that makes because he obeyed the land became his and his children's and even to this very hour we have a lot of evidence in the existence of the nation Israel in that that self same land that the promise God made to Abraham is valid some 40 centuries later we can see how faith weighs evaluates in the example of Moses We're told that in verse 24 through 25 of chapter 11, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of 
Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, he weighed the wealth of Egypt. He weighed that out, the prestige of royalty against the satisfaction of being an instrument of the living God, an heir of the promises of God. He unhesitatingly chose because we are told he saw the unseen. He looked beyond the visible and saw the invisible and he believed in him. He saw God at work. And because of that, Moses became the man more than any other man in recorded history who saw God doing things and learned to know God intimately. We can see faith evaluating in the case of Rahab, the prostitute. She risked her life and, and left her pagan religion. Why? Because she believed in God, and so it saved her life. Her families, Hebrews eleven thirty one, she gained God as well. Faith is never something merely for the future, but faith always, but faith, excuse me, says that if we invest in the future, which God offers us, we'll gain both that future and actually the present. So there's another summary in verse 36 through 38 of, of, of chapter 11. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in the dens and the caves of the earth. But perhaps the most striking quality of all, is that faith dares. So when God has spoken, faith faith ignores the contrary evidence, even though it seems to be absolutely impossible. So we look at Abraham and Sarah, verses 11 and 12 of, of Hebrews, going backwards now. So by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable, innumerable grains of the sand of the seashore. Here were two people, a man and his wife, whose bodies were impotent. They had long since passed the age of childbearing. He was 100, she was 90. There's not a doctor alive who would give them a chance to have a child. But they went ahead anyway. And the result was one little boy from whom came two lines of descendants, the writer tells us, a heavenly seed and an earthly seed. The earthly seed, the physical seed of Abraham, is the nation of Israel and the nations of the Semitic branches. The heavenly seed are those who show the same kind of faith that Abraham did. And, and when the gift of righteousness by faith, as Paul says in Romans 4, that heavenly seas includes many who are present right here this morning in this, in this room or wherever you're listening to this, who have found Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, and so have become children of Abraham. We can see it in Abraham again when he offered up Isaac. Think of that. His reason, his reason could see no solution to his problem. God had said to him, through this boy, Isaac, your descendants will be named. And now God was telling him to take that boy out and to put him to death. Reason could never figure that out. But Abraham was not walking by reason, but by faith. He believed that God had a solution to that problem. Though man could not solve it, he believed God would raise the boy from the dead if, if he had to, to fulfill his promise. So completely did Abraham believe that God meant what he said. 
that as a result, we have seen this amazing account of how Abraham, as it were, received the boy back from the dead because in Abraham's mind, he was as good as dead anyway. But his faith triumphed and God gave him back. We can see the daring of faith in the people of Israel, the Red Sea, before the walls of Jericho. Here were two, two impossibilities. The waters were flowing, right? God said, hey, go down, walk through it. They obeyed, not knowing what God was going to do. It was impossible from an earthly standpoint, but they went forward. God moved the waters back by a great wind. They went through on, on dry land, the Egyptians trying to do it without faith. Well, they drowned. When the great walls of Jericho stood before him, 85 feet thick, over 100 feet high, impassable, impossible. They only had a couple feeble instruments of warfare, but in obedience to God, they marched around the city seven times and the walls fell down. You see, faith dares. It pays no attention to impossibilities. And that brings us to the the least spectacular, but the most important aspect of faith. Faith persists. Faith perseveres. Maybe the most amazing statement in this incredible chapter is actually given twice. Through these people, by faith obtained much from God. Though these people, excuse me, by faith obtained much from God, they all died without knowing and or obtaining the promise that they actually looked for. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They were looking for more than their own personal satisfaction. They were longing to see God's purposes fulfilled on earth. They were not just hoping to go to heaven when they died. These men and women of faith were looking for heaven to come to earth. They were looking to God to bring to bring to pass his will among humanity, but they died without seeing that happen. And there is a special reason for this, picking up verse 39 through 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Think back for just a minute over the names of this chapter and what the world owes to these men and women. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Rahab, the prophets, our laws, our governments, our institutions, our ideals, our standards, we owe to these men and women. They persisted in faith till the whole world was blessed. If they'd given up, we wouldn't have never heard of them. But still, they did not see the greatest thing of all. And the reason was that God had arranged it that we, living right now, might share this race this, that we're all in and, and have a part in that great prize for which they were looking. 
You see, we are called to run the exact same race. We are called to judge the present by the future, to weigh the permanent against the temporary, the ephemeral, to dare to do the impossible against all the silky smooth arguments of the world around us and to keep on day after day after day, whether we are recognized or not. Now, the whole great argument of this entire chapter is lost if we don't read the first verses of chapter 12. So chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Jesus, founder and perfecter of our faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, they say. Now, I, I've sort of changed my, my, my mind on this a bit. Now, that does not refer to people who have died. Specifically, this scripture does not refer to people that have died and have gone to heaven and are looking down on us from above. I, I get it. I know that's a favorite interpretation of this here, but, but I, don't, I don't think that's what it means. It means that these people are saying something to us. They are testifying to us. They are witnesses. That's the word, witnesses in that sense. Their lives are saying that we we ought to lay aside every weight. In other words, whatever hinders faith, we, we never say yes to Jesus without saying no to something else. That's part of that counting the cost. And the sin which so which clings so closely. Well, what is that? Well, well, that's, that's unbelief. That's the, that is the failure to take this revelation seriously. That is the sin that's mentioned all through Hebrews. And, and then what? Well, then we have to run with patience, with perseverance, with persistence, keeping on no matter what happens, how by looking to Jesus, that's the answer. The others we read of here, they can inspire us. They can challenge us. And some of the men and women of faith who have lived since those days can do the same. You know, we, I've read of, about Martin Luther and what a challenge he is and, and John Wesley and D.L. Moody and, and some of the more recent, more modern martyrs of faith, Jim Elliott and others and, and how they've challenged my life and inspired me to make fresh starts, to determine to walk with God, right? To, fo- to follow their example. They challenge us to mobilize our resources, kind of clench our fist a bit, set our jaws, you know, lay your ears back a little bit and determine that we will be men and women of faith right now. But if that's our motivation, we're going to find that we're going to run out of gas soon. That It all begins to fade after a few weeks and we're right back to that same old rut. The secret of persistence is this phrase, looking to Jesus. The word means looking away unto Jesus. Look, look, at, look at these men and women of faith, yes, but then look away unto Jesus. Why? Because he is the author and finisher of our faith. He can begin it and he can end it, complete it. He's the pioneer. He's gone on ahead. He is also the perfecter of faith. He himself ran the race. He laid aside every weight, every tie of family and friends, every restraining hand. He, he brushed it aside. 
that he might resolutely walk with God. He set his face against the popular sin of unbelief and walked on in patient perseverance, trusting that the God, the Father, to work, work it all out. He set the example. He climbed the pitch. But there's more than example in this phrase. There's empowerment. And that's what I want, that's what I want to see. That's what I'm, I want us to see. We are to look away unto Jesus because he can do what these others cannot do. They can inspire us, but he empowers us. Moment by moment, breath by breath, day by day, week by week, year by year. If we learn to look to him, we find strength given to us. That is the secret. We can find strength to begin in Jesus. We can venture out and start this life of faith today in him. We also discover strength to continue. He is not, quote unquote, up there somewhere as this letter has made perfectly clear. He is within us by faith. If we have received Jesus Christ, he dwells, he lives within he has entered into the sanctuary, into the inner person, into the place where we need strength and is available every moment for us. So in Christ, we have all that it takes to meet life. Come what may. I want to close with Ephesians chapter 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen, and God bless.